In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today, we celebrate uh, one of the great servants of the church, Mary of Egypt. She was a harlot in the 6th century and gave her life uh, over to Christ, across the Jordan River, and for 47 years lived by herself in the desert in uh, repentance. And so this fifth Sunday of, the, of Lent, we celebrate her as, a, as an image, as an icon of repentance. And the beauty of this is this is how she died, up here just clothed with a scant cloth over her, but she's painted with the glory of uh, being a nun. She, re she received the clothes in her repentance. What a beautiful thing this is, this, this imagery the church uses, that she died uh, in repentance naked, but uh, in her icon that we celebrate today, she is clothed with righteousness. What a beautiful thing this is. So we see her as a servant of God. The importance of this day is that it kind of brings us to this thought of, am I a servant of God? Am, am I willing to go that far to serve my Lord? Am I willing to do that? How far am I willing to go to be a servant of Christ? So that's the question for us today. And the Lord made it very clear to the disciples. Um, he says to them, uh, when James and John come to him and want to sit at his right and left in the kingdom, he says, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever you desire to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So today, we step outside, hopefully a bit away from James and John's request, and move to this idea of serving the living God. What's this mean to be a servant of Christ? So, I want to back up a bit and go through the epistle reading. And there's four points I'd like to make in relationship to that. Not three, like traditional. Four points today. And they come off of these uh, verses that the Lord secured an eternal redemption for us in the epistle, St. Paul's to Hebrew. If in the sprinkling of defiled persons and the blood of goats and bulls with the ashes of a heifer sanctifies for the purification of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ sanctify us who through eternal spirit offered himself without blemish purifying your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So, 
Let's take a look at these this morning and see if they help us a bit become better servants of Christ. So, first, securing an eternal redemption. Christ came to secure an eternal redemption, which we participate in in holy baptism. When we are baptized, we are united to the death and the resurrection of Christ. We put on Christ. We are united to the living God. We are redeemed in baptism. We are saved into eternity. We live in this world of sin and death, and God in our baptism has saved us into eternity. You're not excited. Are you kidding me? What? You, like, oh, okay, thanks, Father. Let's go get a cup of coffee. What? From this ugly world to eternity? And we're not rejoicing? We're not willing to give everything up for this? Wow. We're justified. He justified us. He forgives all our sins. Forgives them. All the garbage we have, past, present, and even future, he died on the cross for. All the stuff you carry around, all the guilt, all the anxiety that carries you, he forgave it. He died on the cross for you. Securing a redemption. Securing. This isn't a question mark. This is absolutely true and positively present in our life. We are purified, freed from the tyranny of corruption. Corruption, it's all around us, it's in us, it's about us, it's in this world, and God came to free us from the tyranny of this. We're not freed from its, to expo the exposure of it, but we're freed from the tyranny of it because God has given us power over that. Secured eternal redemption. We're redeemed, we live, beloved, in a new reality because of Christ. Reality that says that we can live a life of virtue. We don't need to live a life in the tyranny of sin. We can live a life of virtue. It's now possible. Things that are impossible with man are possible with God. And in this eternal redemption that he's secured for us, we can live in this new reality. So are you somewhat encouraged now? Just a little bit? Amen. Let's say amen. Let's do this. Let's get, uh, let's get Pentecostal here today. Amen. My gosh. Lord, what, a, what have you done for us? And how did you do this? This is the amazing thing. How did he do it? He did it by spilling his own blood. The eternal Son of God took on humanity and in that, in his divinity, united his, his divinity, humanity, keeping them separate. But in his humanity, the Son of God experienced death. The human blood of the Son of God spilled on us to redeem us. What did it cost God? Death in his humanity. 
death in his humanity. That's what it cost him to do what he did for us. Now, if this does not help you come to him with a deep sense of repentance and hope that he loves you, what else, can, what else would convince us? What else would convince us? He died on a cross, spilling his blood for mankind. What else would convince us that he loves us? He cares for us. That he's going to go the extra mile for us. Even after we sin and come back to him, he's still going to come after us. He's, this is unrelenting. I remember one time of blessed memory, Father Thomas Hopko said, God's love is ruthless. Ruthless. What a great word. It never stops coming. You can run and hide, and it's going to always be there. You can slide away. You can go in your little corner and do your little things, but God's love is going to be ruthless. In the Old Testament sacrifice, we saw the law of righteousness of the flesh. All that the law could do would be help the flesh find the right, do the right thing. In the New Testament, the blood put away the defilement of the soul so that we can live in this new reality. The reality that says that God is in us and we can be like him in all the things that we think, do, and say. That's the new reality. That's the new reality because the blood of Christ was shed for us. You know, um, some have you, maybe you, not all of you, and I'm not telling you to watch the movie, but we try to, I, we try to watch it uh, every uh, Holy Week, The Passion of Christ. Now, there's, it's a little brutal at times, and I'm not suggesting you watch it, but I'll just tell you my experience. The first time I saw that movie, when he was being beaten, ruthlessly beaten, on the edge of death, and they were smacking him with these ugly whips, ugly things. And I thought to myself, which one did he take for me? Which one did he take for me? Because he knew me. He knew me. He knew my sin. Which one did he take for me? Which one did he take for you? What did he take for you? Which one did he take for you and for you? Which one did he take? This is a profound action of God. That he, it wasn't just a kind of a general giving his life. He gave his life specifically for you. And he knew you. And he knew your sins. And he took them all on you at his death. What a beautiful thing. So that blood of Christ is how that redemption was received by us. What a loving act of God. And now to another line in the uh, verse in Hebrews. Purify your conscience from dead works. How do I purify my conscience from dead What does this mean? Purify your conscience from dead works. I was thinking about this and it's like living in this world with all the world's agendas. 
what's our world agenda? To be happy, to have a nice house, to have a great job, to have, you know, uh, kids that are well-behaved. <laughs> I always like to pause there because parents always chuckle. Kids that are well-behaved, uh, uh, you know, great friends, a nice church, a nice church building. The agendas. Agendas of the world. If we live in that and for those things, we will live in anxiety. We will live with uh, deep concerns. We'll find despair. We'll find hopelessness. If we live according to the world's agendas, we will do dead works. Those are dead works. They have no end in them. They have no end in them. St. John, uh, John of uh, Chrysostom says, of this line, everywhere in this world, if we're following the world's agendas, everywhere the devil leads the dance. Everywhere, if the world's agenda is what we, we, we serve, the devil leads the dance. He is the master of all in that agenda, in that worldly agenda. Christ is dishonored and he's thrust aside and the church is made of no account. That's what that world will say to you. That's what following those agendas will say to you. We need to flee those things. We don't need to live in anxiety. The Lord says if we live according to the kingdom, we live in peace Righteousness, joy in the Holy Spirit. Peace, peace, righteousness, joy, that's a pretty good deal. Pretty good deal. Or you can choose anxiety or impatience or self-serving, whatever you want to do. You could do that. That's your choice. Live according to the world's agenda where the devil leads the dance. We need to be fearful of that a bit. We don't want to have the devil leading our dance. We want God to lead the dance. So we need to repent of these things when we find ourselves caught in these worldly agendas. To serve the living God. Those are the words of uh, St. Paul. To serve the living God. Christ, what, what's this mean? To serve Christ and his kingdom. To make that the priority. To, to make that is what we look out to. You know, remember, uh, so how do we do this? What, what is our kind of general uh, target? I remember one time we were, uh, I can't remember who was talking to us, but they were talking about trying to find the will of God. Um, actually, I think it was Father Thomas. Two, two quotes from him. Um, he said, somebody came to his spiritual child and said, uh, I just don't know what university to go to. Should I go to this one or this one? Okay. So he said, the spiritual father said to him, you know, I don't think it's like A or B. I, I don't think it's A, it's A and B. You can choose either way. But what you must understand, wherever you go and whatever you do, you must do to the glory of God and the benefit of your neighbor. That's his will. Wherever you are. So, to serve the living God, what must we do? Everything. To what? The glory of God 
and the benefit of neighbor. That's it. That's the Christian life. Everything you do, wherever you are. So you could go to this university, you could have this job. As long as you can, do it to the glory of God and the benefit of your neighbor. This is his will. This is how we serve God. Very simple. Don't make it complicated. It's not about necessarily where you are. It's how you do what you do and to what end you do it. It's very, very important that we do these things, that to the glory of God and the benefit of the other. That's our target. If we can do that, we can truly be servants of the living God. May this be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.